This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Welcome. This is the one year Bible reading for November 24th, and we are finishing the book of Ezekiel this morning, uh, starting at the beginning of chapter 47. Then the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing eastward from beneath the temple threshold. This stream then passed to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led around and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the stream flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. Measuring as he went, he led me along the stream for 1,750 feet and told me to go across. At that point, the water was up to my ankles. He measured off another 1,750 feet and told me to go across again. This time, the water was up to my knees. After another 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. Then he measured off another 1,750 feet, and the river was too deep to cross without swimming. He told me to keep in mind what I had seen. Then he led me back along the riverbank. Suddenly, to my surprise, many trees were now growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, This river flows east through the desert into the Jordan Valley, where it enters the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will heal the salty waters of the Dead Sea and make them fresh and pure. Everything that touches the water of this river will live. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will be healed. Wherever this water flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea, fishing all the way from En Gedi to En Eglame. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea, just as they fill the Mediterranean. But the marshes and swamps will not be purified. They will be sources of salt. All kinds of fruit trees will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month without fail, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Follow these instructions for dividing the land for the 12 tribes of Israel. The tribe of Joseph will be given two shares of land. Otherwise, each tribe will receive an equal share. I swore that I would give this land to your ancestors, and it will now come to you as your inheritance. The northern border will run from the Mediterranean toward Hethlon, then on through Libo Hamath to Zedad. Then it will run to Barotha, and Sibraim, which are on the border between Damascus and Hamath, and finally to Hazar Hadakon on the border of Hauran. So the northern border will run from the Mediterranean to Hazar Enon on the border between Hamath to the south and Damascus to the north. The eastern border starts at a point between Hauran and Damascus and runs southward along the Jordan River between Israel and Gilead, past the Dead Sea, and, and as far south as Tamar. This will be the eastern border. The southern border will go west from Tamar to the waters of Meribah at Kadesh, and then follow the course of the brook of Egypt to the Mediterranean. This will be the southern border. 
On the west side, the Mediterranean itself will be your border, from the southern border to the point where the northern border begins, opposite Libo Hamath. Divide the lands within these boundaries among the tribes of Israel. Distribute the land as an inheritance for yourselves and for the foreigners who have joined you and are raising their families among you. They will be just like native-born Israelites to you, and they will receive an inheritance among the tribes. All these immigrants are to be given land within the territory of the tribe with whom they now live. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. Here is the list of the tribes of Israel and the territory each is to receive. The territory of Dan is in the extreme north. Its boundary line follows the Hethlon Road to Libo Hamath and then runs on to Hazar Enon on the border of Damascus with Hamath to the north. Dan's territory extends all the way across the land of Israel from east to west. Asher's territory lies south of Dan's and also extends from east to west. Naphtali's land lies south of Asher's, also extending from east to west. Then comes Manasseh, south of Naphtali, and its territory also extends from east to west. South of Manasseh is Ephraim, and then Reuben, and then Judah, all of whose boundaries extend from east to west. South of Judah is the land set aside for a special purpose. It will be eight and a third miles wide, and will extend as far east and west as the tribal territories, with the temple at the center. The area set aside for the Lord's temple will be eight and a third miles long and six and two-thirds miles wide. For the priests, there will be a strip of land measuring eight and a third miles long by three and a third miles wide, with the Lord's temple at the center. This area is set aside for the ordained priests, the descendants of Zadok, who obeyed me and did not go astray when the people of Israel and the rest of the Levites did. It will be their special portion when the land is distributed, the most sacred land of all. Next to the priest's territory will lie the land where the other Levites will live. The land allotted to the Levites will be the same size and shape as that belonging to the priests, eight and a third miles long and three and a third miles wide. Together, these portions of land will measure eight and a third miles long and six and two thirds miles wide. None of this special land will ever be sold or traded or used by others, for it belongs to the Lord. It is set apart as holy. An additional strip of land, eight and a third miles long by one and two thirds miles wide, south of the sacred temple area will be allotted for public use, homes, pasture lands, and common lands, with a city at the center. The city will measure one and a half miles on each side. Open lands will surround the city for 150 yards in every direction. Outside the city, there will be a farming area that stretches three and a third miles to the east and three and a third miles to the west along the border of the sacred area. This farmland will produce food for the people working in the city. Those who come from various tribes to work in the city may farm it. This entire area, including the sacred lands and the city, is a square that measures eight and a third miles on each side. The areas that remain to the east and to the west of the sacred lands and the city will each belong to the prince. Each of these areas will be eight and a third miles wide, extending in opposite directions to the eastern and western borders of Israel. So the prince's land will include everything between the territories allotted to Judah and Benjamin, except for the areas set aside for the sacred lands and the city. These are the territories allotted to the rest of the tribes. Benjamin's territory lies just south of the prince's lands, and it extends across the entire land of Israel from east to west. South of Benjamin's territory lies that of Simeon, also extending across the land from east to west. Next is the territory of Issachar, 
with the same eastern and western boundaries. Then comes the territory of Zebulun, which also extends across the land from east to west. The territory of Gad is just south of Zebulun, with the same borders east and west. As far as the, uh, the southern border of Gad runs from Tamar to the waters of Meribah at Kadesh, and then follows the brook of Egypt to the Mediterranean. These are the allotments that will be set aside for each tribe's inheritance, says the Sovereign Lord. These will be the exits to the city. On the north wall, which is one and a half miles long, there will be three gates, each one named after a tribe of Israel. The first will be named for Reuben, the second for Judah, and the third for Levi. On the east wall, also one and a half miles long, the gates will be named for Joseph, Benjamin, and Dan. The south wall, also one and a half miles long, will have gates named for Simeon, Issachar, and Zebulun. And on the west wall, also one and a half miles long, the gates will be named for Gad, Asher, and Naphtali. The distance around the entire city will be six miles, and from that day, the name of the city will be the Lord is there, which in Hebrew is Yahweh Shammah. And that is the end of the book of Ezekiel. Second, uh, sorry, First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, you are foreigners and aliens here. So I warn you to keep away from evil desires because they fight against your very souls. Be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors. Even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, for they will and they will believe and give honor to God when he comes to judge the world. For the Lord's sake, accept all authority. The king is the head of state and the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish all who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your good lives should silence those who make foolish accusations against you. You are not slaves, you are free, but your freedom is not an excuse to do evil. You are free to live as God's slaves. Show respect for everyone. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God. Show respect for the king. You who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters. Do whatever they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are harsh. For God is pleased with you when, for the sake of your conscience, you patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing right and are patient beneath the blows, God is pleased with you. And we have to understand this in the context of what's happening to the church right now under Nero, I believe, is when uh, Peter is writing to encourage these Christians. They are being persecuted to the point of death. And so this is not a mild affliction he's talking about. This suffering is all part of what God has called you to. Christ, who suffered for you, is your example. Follow in his steps. He never sinned, and he never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. When he suffered, he did not threaten to get even. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried away our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might be dead to sin and live for what is right. You have been healed by his wounds. Once you were wandering like lost sheep, but now you have turned your to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, even those who refuse to accept the good news. 
Your godly lives will speak to them better than any words. They will be won over by watching your pure, godly behavior. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty that depends on fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, and beautiful clothes. You should be known for the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. That is the way the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, when she called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat her with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. If you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will not be heard. Psalm 119, starting in verse 49. Remember your, the Lord's, promise to me, for it is my only hope. Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. The proud hold me in utter contempt, but I do not turn away from your law. I meditate on your age-old laws. O Lord, they comfort me. I am furious with the wicked, those who reject your law. Your principles have been the music of my life throughout the years of my pilgrimage. I reflect at night on who you are, O Lord, and I obey your law because of this. This is my happy way of life, obeying your commandments. Lord, you are mine. I promise to obey your words. With all my heart, I want your blessings. Be merciful just as you promised. I pondered the direction of my life and I turned to follow your statutes. I will hurry without lingering to obey your commands. Evil people try to drag me into sin, but I am firmly anchored to your law. At midnight, I rise to thank you for your just laws. Anyone who fears you is my friend, anyone who obeys your commandments. O oh Lord, the earth is full of your unfailing love. Teach me your principles. Proverbs 28, 12 and 13. When the godly succeed, everyone is glad. When the wicked take charge, people go into hiding. People who cover their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. And to end today, we're continuing on with Selwyn Hughes' message. Um, and today, I just love this one. Somebody else needs to hear this other than me. This is a good word. Uh, coming from 1 John 3, chapter 23, which says, And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. Another advantage of being willing to feel disappointment is that it enables us to come in touch with another hidden sin of the heart, self-protection. Whenever we are disappointed, we naturally feel hurt and experience inner pain. Some people are so affected by disappointment that a pool of pain builds up inside them and they say to themselves something like this, people hurt, stay away from them, and don't get too closely involved. These people see non-involvement as a way of avoiding the pain of possible disappointment. But this attitude is a violation of the law of love. Lawrence Crabb, a Christian psychologist, says, deficient love is always central to our problems. What does he mean? He means that behind most of our problems is a failure, failure to love others 
as we love ourselves. If we refuse to move towards someone in the spirit of love because of the fact that they may disappoint us, then we are more interested in protecting ourselves from pain than we are in loving. And that is sin. Did you ever think of self-protection as a sin? Well, it is. And in my estimation, it is one of the most subtle of all. Many of our relationships are ruined by this, particularly marriage relationships. A man who shouts angrily at his wife early in his marriage is setting up a self-protective system that says, disappoint me and you will have to suffer the consequences. What is he doing? He is protecting himself more than loving his wife. And that, no matter how one might attempt to rationalize it, is sin. Father, your challenges are sometimes more than we can bear, and yet we see the sense and wisdom that lies behind them. Reveal to us our own self-protective devices and help us to give them up in favor of loving as we have been loved. Amen. Pray that you can reach out to someone in love today. Have a beautiful day. Love you all.